Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us again on the PCICS podcast, the go-to podcast for pediatric cardiac critical care. My name is Sadie Rodriguez, and I'm a pediatric cardiac intensivist at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. And this episode, we have two very special guests that are going to talk to us about nursing development in low- and middle-income countries, and I will have them introduce themselves. My name is Anna Fisk. I'm the clinical coordinator of the cardiac ICU at Boston Children's Hospital. So I've been a nurse a little over 35 years, and I work with an NGO in India, working a lot with the nurses in that part of the world, and then have done some stuff with some other units around the world, but mostly that's where I've spent the last seven or eight years. And my name is Bistra Jaleva. I'm a vice president of global strategy and advocacy at Children's Heartlink, which is the NGO Anna has worked with for the last almost 10 years. We support the development of pediatric cardiac programs in low and middle income countries, as well as advocate for um, children with heart disease in low and middle income countries. So very pleased to be here to be speaking about some of the amazing work that Anna has been doing in India. Thank you both for all that you do and the vision and the support that you give to so many. As you know, our audience is quite diverse with a large spectrum across career types and across their career journeys. And so I was hoping you could set the stage a little bit for us and tell us what's been going on in nursing development in low and middle income countries for the past few years. What do you see the need as? Maybe I can start um, on that because we have been, our organization has actually been in existence for over 50 years, really supporting pediatric cardiac services in different shape and forms. But um, specifically with nursing, I, I actually will start with the need that exists today that most pediatric cardiac centers around the world actually have significant intensive care nursing staffing shortages, um, see continuous attrition, and a real gap between the academic training the nurses get and the clinical practice requirements. Um, we meet with hospitals from low and middle income countries all the time, and this is the first thing that I always hear: we need more training with our nurses. You know, we need more help with our nursing nursing staff, and I think it stems from actually a lack of recognition at the administrative and actually clinical uh, medical levels of the critical role that nurses have to play on the on the cardiac team and um, their care that they need to provide for children as well as the type of education that they need to have. Um, another thing that we see is that nursing is often not seen as a true profession, but more as a job. Um, again, from administrative point of view, um, their pay is quite low, um, which is um, a big challenge. And um, um, they don't have any funding to attend conferences or for professional development. And it kind of results in a lack of empowerment among nurses um, at all levels um, that uh, can lead actually to poor patient outcomes and many nurses leave their positions because of these negative experiences. And I would say the last thing is that COVID has not made things easier. Unfortunately, uh, with the COVID pandemic, a lot of well-trained um, intensive care post-operative nurses have been hired by high-income countries. And so you see a lot of nurses from India specifically, where we will touch upon today. A lot of nurses are leaving for jobs in the UK and Western Europe and in the United States. So it's really 
a challenging, challenging situation. And I would say PCICS has been trying to attract uh, nursing uh, professionals from low and middle income countries. We at the International Committee have been trying to engage more nurses, but because of these challenges, we really don't have great candidates and it takes a long time to develop nursing leaders in most of these countries. So definitely more work needs to be done. Yeah, absolutely. When I started, it was more just a colleague who said, here, go do this. And I was like, okay, not knowing I would spend probably the rest of my career doing it. But, you know, they're a dedicated group of staff. They care about these cardiac patients. They want these cardiac patients to do well. They have very limited resources, very limited training. That's also very site specific. For India in particular, every hospital or state can have its own nursing program that has whatever they determine to be important to be graduates. There is not a nationwide exam. So it isn't like you have a licensure that, you know, in the United States, yes, I had a licensure originally where I went to nursing school, that when I moved to Massachusetts, I transferred the licensure here. Licensure is all different. And so there isn't consistent education and it's very task oriented for the most part. And a lot of it is on the job training, which is sort of you come in and you're paired with me, but you're not really paired with me. You're just alongside me and you just sort of watch what I do and ask questions. And so part of like what Bistra says that this, they need education because some people have what's the equivalent of a bachelor's degree, but not everybody does. And some of it is true education. How do I take care of a cardiac patient? What is these cardiac defects? How do I take care of them postoperatively? But by the same token, they're not empowered to make any decisions or, you know, they try to, it just really depends. Every hospital is a little bit different, not dissimilar to here. Um, but what, Beaster and I sometimes struggle with is just what she said. We'll just go teach the nurses, but it's not a one person sport. It's very much a team sport. So you also have to change your leadership model and your physician model and how you interact and how you round and how you communicate and how you staff. And that's a tough sell. You know, the one hospital that I've worked with the most over the past eight years or so has made huge strides. And unfortunately I haven't been there in now two and a half years. And we were meeting at least monthly, if not quarterly um, on Zoom, which is super helpful, but you know, it's still really hard to make change when you don't have the empowerment as Bistra mentioned, you know, even something simple as you know, you want to do better at hand hygiene. That's our thing that we've been talking about the last couple of months. Okay, we'll do some hand hygiene audits. Well, the hospital won't let us because, you know, when you aren't making a lot of money, when you have very job-specific roles, you're taking someone else's role by adding those extra things. So, you know, it, it's a hard thing to try to work through because change is hard. You know, they want, everybody wants the kids to do well, but changing it is really hard. You're very much, this is my role. This is my job. Don't take my job. And so it's a struggle. And um, 
it's a different mindset. And so it's really trying to work within a system to be able to make changes, to make outcomes better, to be able to do some empowerment. But it isn't as simple as, well, great, get a hand hygiene committee and go for it. That isn't the way it works. And that can be, it's very slow. Um, I know that I don't know if it was Beaster who sent it to me. I think it was. She said, oh, well, I expect this to be a 10-year project. And you're like, oh, okay. And that's really how you have to think about it um, because it's not fast. And we've all had that in our own units where there's some things that people just don't want to change and we've had to do it slowly. But, you know, this you're asking them to change everything in some way, shape or form. And that's a little bit hard. You know, when you talk about low and middle income countries and you're like, well, why don't you just use this barrier for addressing? Well, we don't have that. Well, why don't you just, you know, well, we don't have that. And so, you know, it's a very different mindset and you have to work within the system they have. We had a conversation this morning about something else where we just said you have to meet them where you are. And that's exactly what you have to do. But you also have to try to encourage them and inspire them to try to move a little bit further. And that can be really uncomfortable. Actually, I wanted to ask you more specifically about that, because as you're talking, I'm just wondering, there seems like there's so many levels of complexity to it. Like you guys have both mentioned at the individual level, but then also just structurally and systemically, it sounds like. And then for all of that to vary from place to place. And I'm wondering how how do you get buy-in from your partnership without it feeling like there's this outside person coming telling us that they know better or that they can do better and, and we can't? And how do you triage the needs or projects or gaps or educational processes that you want to target? I think it's a little bit of two things. You know, at a bedside provider level, education, partnership, mentorship, support, and just really try to inspire. And then Bistra gets to do meet with the hospital administrator and kind of have the hammer a little bit and be like, if you want our help, if you want to make change, if you want things to change, you have to change. And, you know, everybody gets a degree of that, but you have to be sort of thoughtful on how you do it. You know, you can't, make the team so frustrated and you certainly would never have them feel like what they're doing isn't of value isn't competent even if it's not what you would do they're doing the best they can with the skills they have and so you have to offer the skills they don't have or the knowledge they don't have or an idea of doing it differently and they may have ideas and you know just the fact that in this one center they actually have a unit-based infection prevention committee is amazing. You know, the first time I went, or like maybe the third time I went, where a different colleague of mine came with us, we like said, this would be great. This is totally what you need to do. We kind of made some audit tools and it just never flew. And, um, you know, Beast was right. The pandemic's been bad and it's been good. Now Zoom is like, oh, okay, we'll get together with Zoom. Okay, can I meet with you next week? And that didn't happen the first five or six years. You saw them once a year. We, at least in India, there's a great in-country consultant that really 
has very good buy-in, even though she's not a nurse. You know, she lives there. She's Indian. She understands and she can help. And, um, you know, she can sort of pester them in a way we can't. But, you know, you still really only saw them once a year. You know, maybe Bistra and another colleague of hers, Adriana, maybe saw them twice a year or maybe three times a year because they happened to be a couple states over seeing someone else and they swung by for a day or two. Um, but it's hard. Um, and the physicians need just as much education. So if I go with my physician colleagues, which is amazing, you know, they're also asking them, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? Which is great. It's trying to do a lot about that team-based approach. How do you work together as a team without you? We're always respectful of our team members, but you also have to do it without being deferential, which, um, you know, one of the early conversations I overheard was just the typical thing that we all have, right? Should we do this first or should we have lunch first? And what the nurse is saying, well, why don't we do this first? And the physician's saying, well, why don't you have lunch first? And they kept going back and forth, just, you know, collegially. And then, you know, the nurse is like, well, whatever you say. And like really meant that, like, you want us to have lunch first. So of course we'll do that. And that's fine, you know, because we all give in sometimes, but, you know, trying to make that physician nurse hierarchy more of a partnership is tough. It's tough in some of our facilities when that's very embedded, but when you're in a whole culture that that's very embedded, you know, it's hard to say, like, we need to be empowered to do something when that's not always easy. When I, if I could just summarize what Anna was saying, we do have um, Children's Heartlink has some, um, you know, our country directors who manage these partnerships. Um, she's giving me a lot of credit here, but um, they do have these conversations with, um, you know, on physician level and on administration level. Um, but I would say, you know, there's a few things that we try to do. Um, one is to improve their clinical competency. One is to um, it kind of um, do a lot more nursing empowerment through different education that we provide, obviously, and through developing the team-based approach. Um, but I think that um, actually developing nurses as leaders has been the 10-year project that Anna is talking about. That is more of, you know, India-wide that we've been working on. And I think that that's a very interesting um, approach that we've had specifically specifically in India, where we brought um, nursing leaders from across the country, not just partner hospitals that we work with, that our organization works with, but uh, nursing leaders from across the country to engage with the Pediatric Cardiac Society of India and um, to develop what now is called the nursing track um, that did not exist before. And so um, Anna has been instrumental in actually um, leading that group and mentoring them into becoming the nursing leader they are. So I, I definitely think that that has had an impact on the care, the nursing care that they've been providing in uh, at their own hospitals. And I would love for her actually to speak more about it because I think that that's really interesting. And I and I hope that actually the PCICS could someday, you know, think about a similar approach, you know, mentorship approach um, across the world. Yeah, it, it's funny. It's another one of those things that uh, as nurses and as you meet other people that you sort of fall into. But, you know, here at Boston Children's, we have 
the International Quality Improvement Collaborative, IQIC. And because I had been to India and had done different things there for quite a while, we had an uh, area conference there. And so I went and I was one of the speakers and um, one of uh, Adriana, one of Easter's colleagues from Children's Heart Link said, you know, we tried this nursing track, you know, or this is our idea. We're going to collaborate with the Pediatric Cardiac Society of India. You know, what are your thoughts? How would you do it? And, you know, education is something I have done in the past and enjoy and planning and organizing. And of course, I had this, you know, big thought that I was like, oh, do this, 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 this would be great. This, and, you know, that would be my suggestion. They're like, great. So now you're on the scientific committee. And I've been there ever since, which is amazing because it, you know, you really have, this is their work. This is their country, their hospitals. And, but, you know, it's mentorship too. Like, well, what about this? This is how I would normally organize a conference. You have maybe a heavy topic, then a light topic. You have to have a break. You know, how about you do this? Um, you know, different things. But then a lot of those conversations are, what do you think? What do you think is the important topic? Do you think this is something that would be helpful to your teams? What about other teams? One thing that's a little bit different um, with the Pediatric Cardiac Society of India is their conference moves cities every year. And so it moves all around the country, which is amazing because as Beaster said, nurses don't get a lot of um, support to go to nursing conferences. They just don't have the money to offer that. So you get a new group in each city, which has been really nice because now I can say, oh, well, when we were in Bangalore, so-and-so was there. Okay, now they'll be part of our committee. When we were over here, this person could be in our committee. When we were down in Kerala, that we did this and that worked really well, or this didn't work really well, or let's repeat that topic because, you know, this is quite, you know, it's so funny. We know the United States is so big and that's a lot of our membership. That's where they're from. And India is huge. You know, you go from somewhere that's really snowy and cold down to a rainforest in, you know, just a few hour flight. And so the nurses that came to Kerala that year probably didn't go to Kolkata the next year. It's not even feasible. And so sometimes it is repeating topics. Sometimes it's, you know, they really are worried about infection. Infection rates are high and it should be something they're worried about. But often the suggestion is, well, let's go over the CDC guidelines for all the infection bundles. And, you know, that's where you kind of guide them and say, well, you guys know them. I hear you talk about them all the time. What can we do next? And so, you know, one thing that we're trying to do this year is a little more QI where how do we take these bundles and put them into action? Or how do we audit and say, are we actually doing them? Because they're posted a lot of places, but are we actually doing anything with it? And so it's thinking of things in a different way. Um, you know, when you have people that are very task oriented because they're often understaffed. You know, one year when I was there, the nurse that I've known for many years, you know, took a post-op tet, which we all do. And then a couple hours later, he's like, oh, I got to take the other tet. So he had both of them. And that's normal. Night shift, you have four to six of them. That's normal. So I can only advocate for things that make sense. 
they're trying to keep everybody safe and everybody clean. And but then also by mentoring and seeing other people, I can talk about a unit that started allowing parents, say, 24-7 in sort of their step-down ICU. They sort of had an ICU where you would stay for a couple of days and then you would go to the next part before you were able to go to the general ward. And they reported less infection and less adverse events because the parents were there and they were on their kids and knew when they changed. Well, that was like so, you know, earth shattering to anybody else that that would ever be allowed. But to say this is this isn't the United States. This isn't my ICU in Boston. This is an ICU right here. And they did it and it worked. And then you're like, oh, okay. well, maybe we could do that. And so you just have to be able to push the barriers a little bit here and there. And that's what this nursing track has done. Now there's nurses that are from many different states that are all collaborating together. And usually the host city has a nursing team that's helping coordinate, just like any of us that do a conference in our home hospital. They're the nurses that are going to kind of get all the work done. So now you have people that have done it in the past and that people that are in that host city for that year. And then you have me and the other staff from Children's Heartlink to say, all right, how about this? Let, you know, this is how it's worked. This is what's worked really well. Um, you know, you, there's so much education that's wanted that sometimes it's like, okay, we'll have a new topic every 10 minutes. That would be great, but that's really fast. How about we kind of do it this way and then we can still sort of hit what you want. Um, we've been able to have scientific, um, abstracts submitted and people present their posters and some of them are amazing and they're all amazing because they're doing it. They're all trying, even if it's nothing earth shattering, but the fact that they're doing it, there was a great, you know, QI study on why, you know, how they can prevent head ulcers on the occiput of neonates. We all struggle with that. And they did a QI project and they're like, we put this barrier on their head. These kids, we didn't. This is our outcomes. Great. Perfect. You know, um, there's people that are doing discharge teaching or, you know, how you do education when not everybody's literate or don't all speak the same language or, you know, have less access to running water or things that, you know, we worry about that, you know, we have to change how we do post-op teaching. It can't be just even though you will see things that have different hospitals all over their ICUs, you know, to say, okay, but let's adapt it. What works for you? And um, so that's what this nursing track, we, during the pandemic, we did a virtual conference every other month for about the first 18 months. And it was amazing. You know, so many people signed up to attend. They participated on Zoom by either doing um, polls or answering questions or writing in the chat. You know, the first one was just really like, how are you doing? What's going on with COVID? How's it going? And some education and being able to, we had um, nurses from different centers present what's going on. We had a nurse that got COVID and was really sick because it was in the early days, you know, present his experience and what things were like. And then we tried to do it by body system. And, you know, we did some stuff on ventilation and ABG an analysis. 
which, you know, isn't something that's definitely taught very much. We know with our new graduate nurses, you know, they look at those and you're like, what do you want to do? And they're like, I have no idea. Well, if you are in a, a situation where you have two, three, four patients, sometimes really pondering that and trying to understand why you wanted to change their PEEP, but not their tidal volume or their tidal volume, but not their FIH, you know, that's a lot to ask when they're still trying to keep other three patients alive. So to spend several hours and, you know, they're spending two, three hours on Zoom from usually about 6 p.m. to about 9 p.m. because we're trying to support it here. And, you know, there's usually about a 10 and a half hour to 11 and a half hour time difference that that's a lot that's a lot of commitment to say i'm going to finish my whole day of work and then i'm going to spend three hours on zoom just to learn and it's amazing oh my gosh i feel so moved by everything that you're saying and you know what really comes across is such a sense of like this partnership i love how you were describing the mentorship that you bring to it that really you just using guiding questions to put it back into their hands, into their thoughts, into their systems, and trying to promote that sense of empowerment and really just comes across like a sense of practicality, but also creativity and really um, acknowledging and appreciating what they do, that it is so valuable. That really came across so well. And I feel like I have so much to learn from your stories of your experience with them and how how we can work differently to solve problems when we're so used to doing it in a certain way. And here you are working with people all across India to solve different problems in different ways. Hey, podcast listeners, we are going to take a quick break to hear from our institutional PCICS sponsor, Children's Health System of Texas. Children's Health is committed to making life better for children. As one of the largest and most prestigious pediatric healthcare providers in the country and the leading pediatric healthcare system in North Texas, Children's Health cares for children through more than 750,000 patient visits annually. The Children's Health System includes its flagship hospital, Children's Medical Center Dallas, as well as Children's Medical Center Plano, Children's House Inpatient Rehabilitation Hospital, Children's Health Care Network, Specialty Centers, Rehabilitation Facilities, and Physician Services. Children's Medical Center Dallas continues to be the only North Texas hospital to be ranked in 10 out of 10 pediatric specialties by U.S. News, World, and Report. Through its academic affiliation with UT Southwestern Medical Center, Children's Health is a leader in life-changing treatments, innovative technology, and groundbreaking research. This affiliation led to establishing the Children's Medical Center Research Institute in 2011, committed to pursuing research in regenerative medicine, cancer biology, and metabolism. Thank you, Children's Health System of Texas, for sponsoring PCICS. Definitely, there are lots of people who are interested in global health, and I'm sure a large portion that aren't. Why do you think that this is an important thing to talk about and to bring to everyone's attention? What we're describing here is more of a you know grassroots approach. You start with the nurses, you start with the hospitals and kind of help to solve the problem with respect for the environment that they live in. 
as Anna said, you know, we um, we know that everyone is trying to provide the best care for children. It's not um, it's not that they want to have bad outcomes. It's just that the environment is different and their challenges are different. And so I think that it's important to share these experiences, which are not unique. Children's Heartlink is absolutely not the only NGO that works in this space. There are quite a few of them, in fact, who are facing exactly the same issues. And, you know, everyone is being asked to help to the extent that they can. But I do think that there is um, kind of a, a, especially after the pandemic, there is this impetus globally to um, to advocate for this topic, to, to say we need more nurses, we need nurses to be treated better, we need uh, nurses, specialized nurses to be seen as integral members of the pediatric cardiac team. We need to develop these roles. We need to be Thinking about um, them as important professionals in, you know, providing care at the hospital for these very complex children that everyone is trying to treat, um, and I think that there is um, this aligns with actually many global goals. So if you look at what the WHO is saying, the WHO has a whole strategy about nurses and midwives and professional development of nurses and midwives, and it truly aligns with what they're saying countries should look into. Um, and so I do think that professional societies like the PCICS have an important role to play in that, um, in supporting that message and, and, and discussing it. We certainly have not figured it out across in high-income countries either fully, uh, but we definitely something have something to, um, to provide and to assist. Um, just like the, you know, the work that Anna is doing and, you know, Children's Heartlink is trying to provide. Uh, but there's things that we could be learning from low and middle income countries and and helping um, these professionals that are, again, trying their best to do provide best care possible in, in difficult circumstances. Um, so I do think that there is an awareness building and advocacy role. Um, that's part of my job here, <laughs> an advocacy role that we can all play and um, and and talk about globally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, the whole idea is to give them the tools to do what they're already doing even better. It's not swooping in and fixing everything because that's not going to happen. You know, you once you leave, they're going to do whatever is going to happen just like anybody. So you have to inspire and meet them where they are and say, this is why I think it's important. And then listen. You got to listen, 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 listen. Like, why can't you do it that way? Well, what do you need to do? Well, you know, the chief has to sign off. Great. I'll talk to him, you know, or, you know, well, we don't have that, but we have this, you know, it wouldn't be a trip if I didn't Google something and I'm like, oh, that's what that medicine is. Okay, I got it now. You know, or, you know, just phrases that are different that like, oh, okay, that's what you're using. You know, you can't just say you have to do it my way because that's not helpful. You know, really what you want to do is give them the tools so they can do even better the job they're already doing. And, um, you know, that's why you're there. You're not there to like take over and fix everything. Global health was certainly not something that was on my radar at all. I think at the time I went, I'd had a passport for maybe a year or two um, because, you know, I for a long time lived on the West Coast where the only place you would go at that time was Mexico or Hawaii, which you didn't need a passport for. 
And, you know, then I moved to the East Coast and had lived here quite a while, but it wasn't like on my to-do list. And, you know, someone suggested it. And, you know, you build a relationship and that's the whole point is then you're like, you care about how they're doing. You know how their kids are doing. You know what's going on in their unit. You know, when somebody a few months ago, you know, during that infection prevention meeting said, well, there's just some stuff going on, you know, can we talk later? Like that was important. That had never happened. And so we made that Zoom invite and then we heard what was going on and we gave some suggestions and some ideas. And so now they have that mentorship and help. But, um, you know, I think that's where sort of that global health is, is sharing and inspiring and partnering so that, you know, it's more equitable to the best of your ability. That was beautifully said by both of you and I think can lead to some really deep, rich, meaningful relationships personally and professionally, hopefully for all parties and for the benefit of the children and for all of our continued involvement as a global family. If people are interested in getting involved, are there a couple of key websites or places you would direct them to? They can definitely contact Children's HeartLink. We, you know, we may have opportunities for volunteering, but um, if we don't, there are many other NGOs, non-governmental organizations that work in this field, happy to connect them with others. And I'm sure that people are aware of those as well. Happy to talk more to anyone who's interested. And I'm actually looking forward to us writing about this experience and kind of publishing about it because it is it is great, especially the work that we've done with the Pediatric Cardiac Society of India, because I think it's uh, it's something that can be replicated in other countries. Yeah. yeah, it's an amazing thing. I mean, until this nursing track, nurses weren't part of that society and they really still yeah. technically aren't. So, you know, showing how many nurses have come and spent hundreds and hundreds of hours learning and collaborating and presenting their own science and their own QI projects. We had a nurse develop an app so that nurses could do calculations because the computers are often only for physicians. So you're not going to look at a calculator. You're not going to be able to look something up. So there's so much innovation that you can do. And I think for those that, you know, want to participate, like Beaster said, you know, Children's Heart Link is amazing. And there's a lot of other ones that are available. I do think personally, it has to be something that's a commitment. You know, I've had people say, well, you know, we should let in your institution, everybody go because, you know, everybody should be able to participate in that experience and offer their insight. And I, I do think that's true to a degree. I do think you build relationships and I think those relationships are important. I had a colleague, Ruth, that came for a couple of years and then because of various constraints, couldn't come the next couple of years. And they're still like, how's Ruth doing? Is she able to come back? So I think there is that relationship that if it's a new person or a new team every time, I do think that is a little bit um, challenging because you have to build rapport all over again. I have some colleagues here that have built a similar program in Ghana, and they have brought new people, but the core people are always there. So I think that's a good balance of there's people that maybe are going to really connect with that new young nurse that feels like 
they have a similarity or that male nurse that's pretty rare in low and middle income countries, but still have the core team that kind of can smooth the way. So I do think there's a balance that way. And that's where it's a little bit different than their traditional mission trips where it was kind of a new person all the time and you just sort of did surgeries or something that needed to be done and it came back next time. And many NGOs or programs that work in low and middle countries don't love that as much for the reasons we've talked about. But of course, there are times where there's a place for that, where those children won't have surgery if nobody's there to do it. So there's like a balance of really trying to empower the local team and teach them. The team that worked in Ghana, their whole point was to try to make a sustainable program that lived after they moved on. And that's what they've really worked hard for. And that's the same with Children's HeartLink, where we're trying to partner with that facility so that over time, yes, we'll always be there, but they actually don't need us. And now they're a beacon to their colleagues that are two towns over or a state over. And you could say, oh, we'll call them. They're honestly on the same time zone. They have the same challenges. They have the same facilities. You know, I bet you they could offer you some help or insight or nurses will go down and work at one of those facilities for a month and, you know, things like that, that we wouldn't think of here, but it works great. So I think that's a lot like what Bistro is saying about you learn from them just as much. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity to, to talk about this experience. It's a great opportunity for us to share it. And we hope that others will inspire others to do similar work. As Anna said, the long-term commitment pays off. <laughs> she didn't sign up for it, but um, she's been an amazing volunteer and a great mentor and friend to, to nurses, many nurses in India. Yeah, I think it's really important. It's really great when facilities support it. Obviously, there's lots of hospitals that work with Children's HeartLink and they support their teams going. And, you know, you learn things about flexibility and you know, empowerment and just you learn stuff too. And it's really amazing when we all can collaborate that way to kind of make us all more similar. You know, we see a lot of our international colleagues come to PCICS conferences and they're amazing. So, you know, to be able to have more of the nurses involved and they're probably very unlikely to be able to travel to Miami, but having them their voice so that you can hear what they actually need and what would be helpful is just amazing. I mean, that really comes across all throughout our conversation. It really feels like there is true respect for the entities that you work with. And then it's really like your service is just to support them and to see them grow and to flourish and to really um, support their, their growth and their leadership. And that's, to me, what keeps coming out and what is so beautiful about the way that you have built the partnership. I just wanted to thank you both for your commitment to the service that you give to them and your dedication. Thank you. Yeah, it's a true <laughs> partnership. Yeah, absolutely. We want to thank you one more time, Anna Fisk and Bistra Jalava, for being with us speaking on such an important partnership. 
on this episode. We really enjoyed having you and thank you to all of our listeners for listening to the PCICS podcast. Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you may listen to podcasts. Please visit our website, pcics.org, where you can find more information on how to become a member and enjoy updated information on educational resources, meetings, job listings, and much more. The song, I Don't Know, by Grapes was used under a Creative Commons 3.0 attribution license.